Happy Easter. Only one of you? See, last week we talked about Easter, right? The fact that we have this God that, like, loved us so much that he sent his son down to die on a cross. For you and for me, he didn't just talk about how much he loved us, but he literally put flesh and blood into it. Like, that's something I think we're celebrating more than one week. Amen? Amen. I mean, in 1 John 4.10, I love what it says. This is real love. Not that we love God first, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I think that's something that should impact every single moment of our life. And that's what we're going to be talking about in in our series here, is how do we take this real love of God and have it be something that transforms everything in our life? And the first part of that is understanding that, man, I think Easter should be something we celebrate every single day. Amen? Amen. Turn to someone around you right now and say, Happy Easter! So what I want to talk about today is this amazing love of God that we have. As 1 John says it, this real love. The fact that we didn't love God first, but he loved us anyways. And sent his son even while we were yet sinners. And so today I want to ask the question of how do we respond to this love? How How do we have it be something that actually impacts us and changes everything in our life? Because something, I don't know about you, but when I grew up in the church, sometimes it could feel like we'd talk about this love of God. We'd celebrate Easter, but sometimes it could kind of feel like we just kind of talk about it. Like, yep, God loves us. That's great. Yep. All right. Move on. Like, like the fact is, God didn't come just to kind of casually change our life, but he came to change everything. It should be a really big deal. And so today I want to look at how do we respond to this love of God? In Matthew 22, I think Jesus gives us the answer says that one of the people around him, an expert in law, came and tested him with this question. They said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replies, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be asking the question, how do we love God with all our heart, all our mind, and all our soul? And how do we love our neighbor as ourself? And so I'm, I'm so excited to dive into that with you. Before we do that today, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we just love you so much, but we know we don't love you nearly as much as you love us. Because God, your love is beyond what we can possibly imagine or comprehend. And so today, God, we, we just... In our own feeble way, we just pray that the posture of our hearts, the words that we sing, the things that we pray to you, God, we pray that it would truly be worship pouring from our hearts today, that we glorify you with everything that we do, and that today, as we walk out of this place, God, through your Holy Spirit, we pray that we look a little bit more like you, we'd be a little bit more inclined to obey you, God, we would just be more of what you've purposed and planned for us to be in our lives. God, we are so grateful for who you are and how you're going to speak today. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim Valentine. My last name is Valentine, which is like one of the best things about me, actually. The fact that my last name is awesome is like half the reason my wife married me. Like she was kind of on the fence. And I was like, listen, your last name's gross right now. I can make it Valentine. And she was like, all right, fine, fine. That pushed her over the edge. And so because of that, in my house, Valentine's-themed anything is a really, really big deal. 
Like, like we have heart stuff everywhere. I grew up, Valentine's Day was this really cool family holiday. So anything that's Valentine's Day themed is a really, really big deal in our house. But as I grew up, I started to kind of witness that Valentine's Day kind of had some really negative connotations for a lot of people. And I think the biggest reason for that is that we live in a world that when, when you celebrate Valentine's Day, a lot of times you're celebrating humans' version of love, the world's version of love. And I don't know if anyone's witnessed this, but sometimes our version of love as humans kind of sucks. Does that, has anyone ever witnessed that? Like what we call love is, is sometimes kind of fragile and stupid and fades away. You know, I, I, uh, I love Valentine's Day cards, but I found some... Uh, rejected Valentine's Day cards the other day I thought were really funny. I think they kind of sum up how, how fragile our love can kind of be. I, I want to share these with you. I thought, were, I thought they were really funny. First one is this. It says, I've always wanted someone to hold and to love and spend my life with. Having met you, I've changed my mind. <laughs> or how about this one? You are the love of my life. So far. You are my rock. You sit around the house for hours and do nothing. I love everything about you, except for those things that we've previously discussed. <laughs> you know, the thing about Valentine's Day or love in general, when we, when we talk about that in our culture, is that it's just a small glance into what our ultimate desire is as human beings. Our ultimate desire as human beings is to find love, true, real love love that truly does something in our life. And a lot of people in our world are trying to find this love anywhere that they can. One of the most popular ways that I see is through dating. There's many people who are dating right now, trying to find love, talking with different people. And in our country, dating has kind of taken on a, a whole new facet to it. I think our world is very enamored with dating. It's very popular right now to the point where, did you know that the online dating in industry is a two to three billion dollar industry? There's over 2,500 dating services online in this country alone. It's absolutely crazy. Now, there's nothing wrong with dating if you're doing it God's way, but what I find so interesting is that we as a culture really, really love the idea of dating. We love options, and what I've found is that, especially with my generation right now, we love dating, but we don't always love the idea of marriage. Like, we love the idea of dating and, and, and kind of having our options open, but we don't always like the idea of a committed relationship. The thing is, marriage is absolutely amazing if it's done God's way. If it's not, it can be one of the most wrecking things of all time. But if it's done God's way, it goes deeper than any other relationship. It impacts us more than any other relationship. It's more intimate. It reveals flaws in us. It strengthens us. It requires a commitment. And ultimately, it'll change us beyond our wildest dreams if we let it. But see, in our culture today, we're often really enamored with this idea of dating, with this idea of having our options open, going from thing to thing to thing. And I think the problem with that is sometimes that spills over into how we view God. A lot of Christians like the idea of dating God. And here's a statement I'm going to unpack as we go through today. But kind of the core of this message is this. Did you know God doesn't want to date you? God wants to marry you. 
God doesn't want to date you. God wants to marry you. I'm going to show you that in Scripture here in a moment. See, it says in Ephesians chapter 5, there's this passage that's often talked about whenever we're talking about marriage. Paul talks about the fact that wives should submit to their husbands and then proceeds to give the ultimate standard of what a husband is supposed to be. But don't miss this. This isn't just about husbands and wives. This is about a lot more than that. This is about how God wants to have a relationship with you. This is a picture of what God's relationship with the church is supposed to be. It says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. See, what, what Jesus is saying here through Paul is that, listen, in the same way that a husband and wife come together and become one, even more so, I want to have that with my church. He's saying, husbands, this is how much you should love your wives, but then saying, listen, this is how much I love you. See, in the, t- in the same way that two becomes one in marriage, God wants, us, God wants to become one with his church. Now remember, who's the church? It's not this building. Who is it? It's you. We are the church. God wants to have an intimate, life-changing relationship with you. He wants to enter into a relationship with us that makes us look like him, that makes us into new creations, that makes us holy and without fault, a relationship that goes everywhere with us, into everything that we do. He doesn't just want a puppy love dating relationship with you. God wants a life-changing, life-altering marriage with you. Because the fact is, this life change only happens in a deep, committed relationship. That's why God isn't really interested in dating you. God wants to marry you. See, most studies show that my generation has an aversion to commitment, like I said earlier. Examples in our past, but in in multiple areas, especially romantically, we prefer, if you look at my generation and younger, we often prefer to stay away from really commit, but we like the idea of keeping our options open. Seeing where things go, friends with benefits, rather than a lifelong commitment. Then when it comes to committed relationships, we, we like the idea of you know staying dating for long periods of time. Which, I mean, makes sense in some sense. I mean, of course we like dating more. It's less commitment. It requires less of us. It's easier to leave if I don't like something. But then the problem is that, that culture spills over to the church. A lot of people want the benefits of a relationship with God, but they don't want to actually want the commitment to allow him to change them. Like being able to call God in private when you need him, but not going public to others with him. Kind of like living together, wanting the benefits of a relationship without the commitment that's required. So many Christians I see, that they kind of treat God like a popular dating app. They like to swipe right on God and then leave his word on unread. Thing is, God didn't send his son down to die on a cross for us for casual life change. The story of Easter is not that God sent his son so that we can be a little bit better or look a little bit more like him. He sent Jesus down to die on a cross for us 
so that we could be a new creation in Christ Jesus. That we could absolutely and totally have everything turned inside out and be made holy. See, Jesus didn't die just to date you. Jesus died to marry you. Jesus died to have a relationship with you that changes everything. And so today I want to look at what that looks like. If we're in a marriage relationship with God, a deep, intimate relationship that changes everything, there's a couple things that are going to happen. First and foremost is this. His priorities are going to become your priorities. There's a line in marriage vows that says, forsaking all others. There's a, the fact is that a lot of God's children don't actually love their Heavenly Father or have trouble loving Him because there's some things in their life that they haven't forsaken. Their own job, their goals, their own version of doing things, the idols in their life. There's some things in their life that they haven't forsaken to be able to step into this relationship. It says in Matthew 6, 24, No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. See, the fact is that's true of anything that we're enslaved to. If I'm in a marriage with God, then I'm going to have no other plans, no other priorities. My goal isn't just to speed date God, but if my goal, if my goal is to have a deep, intimate relationship with Him, then something's going to have to change in our life. There's a story in Matthew chapter 4 where Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and, and James and John. And it's really interesting. They're out fishing and cleaning their fishing nets out in their fishing boat. And Jesus comes along and just kind of says, Hey, come and follow me. It says that while he was going there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat, and their father, and followed him. Now, for those of you with a fishing boat, I mean, leaving behind your fishing boat, that would be, you know, that would be pretty terrible. But in this day, this wasn't a casual thing for them. This was their whole entire life. This was the whole entire way that they were able to feed their families. This was everything to them. This was the core of their identity. Back in that day, what you did was a really, really big deal. And so in this moment, Jesus is saying, listen, I want you to leave behind everything that identifies you, everything that gives you security, everything that gives you safety, everything that gives you meaning in life. I want you to leave it right there and come and follow me. And these men had experienced something in Jesus that made them go, okay, it's worth it. And they left it behind and followed him. See, if I'm really a follower of Jesus, I value what he values. I want what he wants. I start to pray what Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. See, the problem is this. If I don't make my relationship with God a priority, one thing I have found in my life is that anything that isn't a priority is replaceable. You ever notice that? Anything I don't make a priority in my life is replaceable. It's kind of like potted plants. Anybody like potted plants? I love potted plants because, like, they're really easy to take care of. When they die, I can just throw them away and no one knows. Like, I, I can just kind of ignore them and I don't have to do a lot with them. But the, the problem with a potted plant is that it never really grows to its fullest potential. For, for many fruit-bearing plants, it won't actually bear the fruit or an, enough of the fruit to really sustain itself because it never really grows roots. The problem is 
when, when you have something that actually grows roots, then you're able to have the big tree that produces the fruit in your life. And so often in our life, we're kind of like potted plants when it comes to how we grow in Christ. We kind of are movable, and we're kind of in this mobile way that we can move back and forth and move from thing to thing to thing. And the problem is, for a lot of people, they look like that. They're kind of dating God. They go to church when it's convenient. They read the Bible if they have time. They serve if they feel like it. And they wonder if they're not growing, which is largely because they don't have roots. And so today I want to ask the question, how do we make God's priorities our priorities? Well, what are some of his priorities? One that we just talked about is his church. He died for his church, died for us. So in his church, in in our body of believers, man, do do you serve other people? Are you looking for ways that you can serve others and help and be with others? Are you in community with other people? Are you, sir, are you giving? Are you tithing? Are you being with, can the other people around you right now count on you? Are you making disciples? Before Jesus left this earth, he said, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Are you a disciple of Jesus that's multiplying himself, reaching out to the people around you that don't know Jesus yet and having conversations? And finally, a verse we just read a moment ago. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, do we love our neighbors? Do we love the people around us? Can they see Jesus in us in the way that we serve them, in the way that we love them, in the way that we pray for them, in the way that we look out to pour into their life? Do we see people the way that Jesus sees them? Are God's priorities our priorities? The second thing that will happen if we're in a marriage relationship with Jesus is that Everything that I do is going to honor him. I will attempt in everything that I do to honor him. See, in my house, if you give me a choice of something to bring home, like something where I have to choose a color, almost every single time I'm going to choose one color. It's going to be the color yellow. Because if you know my wife, that is her absolute favorite color. I don't really care about yellow, but I'll tell you what, I have so much yellow stuff in my life because when I see something and I see that there's a yellow option, my first thing that comes to my brain is, oh, I should pick yellow because it's becoming ingrained or brainwashed, however you want to think about it. But however it is, it's like my relationship with my wife has so ingrained into me that whenever I see something yellow, I just like have to comment on it. Oh, something yellow. Because my relationship with my wife has so changed me that I want to pick the thing that honors her best. And it has just become a part of my life. My wife probably wishes some other things would change in my life. But for, for one, I, the one thing I do well is pick yellow things. But see, if we're in a marriage relationship with God, then our wants and desires are going to start to change. If we're truly in a deep, committed relationship with God that changes everything in our life, the Bible says in Romans 2.29 that God will give us a change of heart that's produced by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will start to change your heart, and that this change of heart will produce in you this heart that doesn't seek praise from people, but instead seeks praise from God. The Bible's saying here that, listen, I will change your heart to a point where the thing that's most important to you is that you hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I will change your heart to a point where you won't care about what anyone else thinks. You won't care about the praises of people. And I'll tell you what, this is a huge promise to me because I'm someone who my whole entire life, I've struggled with dealing or I've struggled with idolizing what other people think of me. 
I, I've struggled in those moments where, man, somebody says something to me, and it just, it just cuts me and destroys everything in me because I have this unhealthy sense sometimes of, of putting other pe- valuing other people's opinions over what God thinks of me. And I love this verse because when I'm following him and I'm walking in the Holy Spirit, God will give me a new heart that cares more about what God thinks than what other people think. And the fact is, this isn't always immediate. It can be gradual, but as we move closer and closer to God, he'll change our heart to want what he wants. See, God's only interested in a marriage covenant with us because it's in marriage that you're growing and moving forward and things are changing in your life. But if we're just dating God, then we can end up staying in the same place. See, all throughout our world, the, the key to success is getting your own way. But see, in a marriage relationship, marriage changes that. I mean, for me, my marriage, there's things that I did when I was single that I don't do anymore. There's things I used to look at, places I used to go, ways I used to live my life that I don't do anymore because marriage has changed me. And the same thing is true in a marriage with God. You know, I remember the moment when, when I think, man, I, I probably one of the most exciting moments of my childhood was the moment when we got satellite TV. Now, I'll tell you why. I grew up out in the country. Anybody else grow up in the country? I know we got some country folk out here, right? So I grew up, I was homeschooled in the country, okay? Our internet was the one that went, anybody have that growing up? The dial-up, anybody still have dial-up? Man, we did not have high-speed internet, so there was not watching anything on there, and then we didn't really have any TV out there. So you think about that. I'd go into town and start hanging out with people, and they would be talking about, man, this show or that thing that's going on, and I would have no idea. And back again to what I was saying about wanting to fit in and, and valuing other people's opinions, man, I felt like I never fit in. I was a weird homeschool kid. And suddenly, we get satellite TV. We go from no channels to 5 million channels with DVR. It's amazing. I'm so happy. I get to know all these shows, and I'm like sitting there and watching all these shows that everyone else is watching, and I feel in a sense like I can finally fit in, and I'm like so, so excited. It was an absolutely incredible, life-changing six months. Six months later, my dad calls a family meeting, which, I mean, there's three of us, so it wasn't very hard. So we sit down, and my dad says, you know, I think I've been, I made a mistake as a father. Now, at this point, I'm a little arrogant, and so I'm kind of thinking, well, yeah, I mean, you have made some mistakes as a father. Do you want to use your list, or do you, you want to use my list? I got it right here. Okay, that's fine. You use your list. You use it. And my dad says, you know, I think I made a mistake getting satellite TV. I'm like, that, that wasn't on my list, Dad. <laughs> See, he said, listen, I've been noticing that all we're doing is sitting around watching this stuff, and none of it is actually helping our relationship with God. In fact, some of the stuff we're watching is actually dragging us away from Him. It's like, wow, okay. So suddenly, after just a few months, we went from having all these channels to going back to the dark ages. And my dad, my dad wasn't perfect, but one of the things my dad did very well was he loved the one who is perfect and followed Him. And one of the things I love about that moment, this isn't to diss on satellite TV or say anything about that in any way, shape, or form, but the point is this. That moment impressed on me that my dad looked at the things in our life, specifically TV in that moment, and said, you know what? 
if this isn't drawing me close to God, I want everything in our life, in our family's life, to honor God. I want my kids to grow up to honor God. I want my family to love him with everything. So therefore, if this thing is not honoring him and drawing us closer to him, I'm going to get rid of it. And impressed on me in that moment, this idea of taking everything in my life and saying, listen, God, is this drawing me closer to you or is it drawing me further away from you? My dad's priority in life was honoring God as a family. The question then is, is it our priority? See, we can honor God in so many ways, in the way that we see the people around us. I mean, do we actually see people the way that God sees them? Do we see the brokenness in people's lives? There are people all around us who are hurting and broken and in need of the love of God. And the fact is, do we, do we introduce them to the one that can heal their brokenness? Do we introduce them to Jesus? Do we bring them to church with us? We honor God in the way that we obey In every area of our life, are we honoring God by obeying Him? Are we praying what the psalmist prayed? Search me, O Lord. See if there's anything in me that doesn't please you. Are we actually allowing God to change us by going, God, will you change me? Is there anything in me that isn't obeying you? Is there anything in me that isn't honoring you? So if we are in a marriage relationship with God, It's going to change the way we see things. Everything we do is going to honor him. And finally, the relationship is going to go public. The relationship is going to go public. See, in our world, there's a lot of relationships that we want to keep quiet. There's a lot of apps out there to have relationships for people that are just kind of keeping things in the dark. They don't want anyone to know about it. There's people all around us who are, you know, hooking up and doing things behind closed doors. But the thing is, God's not really interested in hooking up with us. God's not interested in a behind closed doors, hush, hush relationship. He's interested in one that goes out to everyone around us. See, our relationship with God isn't supposed to be something that just happens in the dark behind closed doors. It's supposed to be something that changes everything. The Bible tells us that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. But so many Christians around me that I've met, they don't actually share their testimony. And sometimes I think it's either because they're ashamed or scared of it, or two, because maybe God really hasn't changed their life yet because they're not really giving Him everything because they're still dating God, and therefore they don't really have much of a testimony. See, one of my my favorite moments in Scripture is the moment where David has the the altar or the the Ark of the Covenant coming into Jerusalem. And David just gets so excited. Like he's so happy that the presence of God is coming back to the city that he just goes out there. And depending on how you translate it, he was either in a very skimpy uh, undergarment tunic type thing or he was in his underwear. And I like the translation that he was in his underwear because that's funnier to me, right? So So David goes out there in his underwear and starts dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And he's so happy. It looks exactly like this. Look it up in the commentary. It'll have a picture of me doing this. Like, he's so happy. And that, that look that you feel right now, of like, oh my gosh, that is so embarrassing. That's how his wife felt. His wife went to him and said, listen, that was horrible. Don't do that again. And David has this moment that just blows my mind. He looks at her and he goes, listen, that wasn't for you. That was for God. 
And the fact is, you didn't make me king. God did. I love that moment where, where David's just looking and going, I don't care what you think. And there's so many moments where, where God has done that to me, where he's released me in a moment where other people are saying things. And I think, listen, I love you, but I don't care what you think. You didn't save my soul. God did. You didn't change my life. God did. You weren't there when everything was broken in my life. God was. So if it becomes between obeying you and making you happy or making you like me and doing what God has called me to, then I'm going to choose him every single time. David said, I will look even more ridiculous and undignified than this. So sometimes spiritually, that's what we have to do is just get out there and do a little something that makes people go, oh, my gosh. Because that's what the Bible says, that the word of God is foolishness to those who are perishing. That God takes the foolish things of this world, the things that make you go, oh, wow. And he does something amazing with it. The Bible says in Luke 9, 26, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the son of man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in his glory and in the glory of the father. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that your personal relationship with God is supposed to be just between you and God. It never was. So we end up keeping our relationship with God as this private affair. We go to church and act one way, and we go out and leave and act just like the world. When we go out, we hear people asking questions about God, and we just move on because we don't want to be that churchy person. You know, for me, I have this ring on my finger. I don't know, probably a lot of you guys and maybe gals have one of these. I, mine's made out of rubber. I don't know what yours is made out of because I can't have an adult ring. But um, this, this thing is really important to me. Actually, the reason why I love that I have a rubber ring is because this thing never leaves my hand. No matter what I'm doing, no matter what my hands are in, no matter what dirt my hands are in, no matter what crud I'm in, no matter what thing I'm doing, what stress my hands are under, this ring never leaves my finger because in my mind it, it represents the fact that no matter what I'm going through in life, no matter what crud or things I got my hand in, no matter what things are going on in my life, I'm always married for better or for worse because this marks me. It goes everywhere with me. And when I'm in a marriage relationship with God, it's the same thing for us. It's a relationship that goes everywhere into every moment of crud and mud and stress that we're going under. It's a relationship that goes out there and publicly proclaims that, listen, I have a relationship with God no matter what thing is going on in my life. It's a, it's a relationship that comes up on a regular basis. If you're with me at any period of time, at some point, the fact that I'm married will come up the fact that I love my wife will come up. I probably bring her up every time I preach. I'm sure she loves that. But the thing is, my relationship with my wife is something that has impacted me so much that I talk about it all the time. And the same is true in my relationship with God. But for a lot of us, I wonder if we don't talk about our relationship with God, if God doesn't come up in our life very often, because we really don't have much of a relationship with him. There's a lot of people I know who, man, their relationship with God is just a, a casual little date on Sunday. And then the rest of the week, there's no time of prayer. There's no time of talking about him. It's just an hour a week. See, God doesn't want to be just something that we talk about in private. He wants something that will go public. He wants his marriage with you to change every single area of your life. 
So how do we go public with our relationship with Jesus? How do we have this relationship with him be something that goes into every single area of our life? Well, for starters, do we talk about Jesus? Is it something that comes up in our life? A lot of people I, I, I hear talk about, you know, talking to people about Jesus. And they're like, why don't people think I'm weird? Or they say, well, I, I don't know if I'll say the right things. I think sometimes we put too much pressure on ourselves to the point where we think, man, what if I let God down? But the fact is, we were never holding God up. The fact is, we can be imperfect vessels that shine the perfect light of Christ into the world. And sometimes I think we just have to get out there and just say something. It doesn't mean getting on a street corner all the time and going, hey, listen, come to Jesus. Sometimes it's just that conversation with someone where it comes up that they're going through brokenness and hurting. And you say, listen, I've had some of those things in my life, and I'll tell you what changed my life. Or maybe someone asks you the question, man, why do you do things that way? Why do you love people the way that you love them? Why would you sacrifice so much of this for other people? Why would you do that? Why would you forgive that person? Why wouldn't you gossip about them? Why wouldn't you just go punch them in the face? Because I know Jesus. Because he's changed everything in my life. Because I'm in a marriage relationship with him above anything else that's going on in my life. He's the number one. That's the number one way to help your relationship go public with other people. Man, another way is just praying for people. Man, so many people I hear talk about, man, this person over here is really hurting. This person over here really needs Jesus. Can I just encourage you, when's the last time you prayed that God would invade their hearts? That God would do something amazing in them? Especially for those you don't like. Like those people that you're just like, they're driving you nuts. You know what? They'll drive you a lot less nuts if Jesus is in them. So why don't you pray that God will do something and bring them to him, if not selfishly. Pray for people around you. Ask them how they're doing. Minister to people. As you hear about the brokenness and hurting in people's hearts, step into that. God will give you the words to say the closer that you're walking with Him. You know, this message is really personal for me because there was a long period of my life where I just dated God. Like, I had this casual relationship with Him that didn't change anything in my life. I I would go to church occasionally. Boy, I'll tell you what. I was really good at looking like the perfect Christian. Like, I knew all the words to say. I could say all the right things. Threw me in a Bible study, and I could blow your mind. And you would walk out of there going, wow, that, that Tim really knows his stuff. That Tim really knows Jesus. I didn't know Jesus. I just knew a lot about the Bible. I knew just enough. Because the reality was, underneath the surface, all I was doing was doing, going my own way. And I just wanted the people around me to think I was good when I was in church. But when you got me out of the church, I was doing my own thing. I was using people. I was doing everything but following God. God wasn't number one in my life until the day where I realized something. It wasn't going to work anymore. I got to my absolute lowest point in life to the point where actually I said to God, I said, listen, God, I'm done. Either you're going to take my life or I'm going to take it because I'm done with this. Either you have another way or I can't do this anymore because my way isn't working. And I realized in that moment that God, God really said to me in that moment, listen, I need to have all of you. 
I've only had part of you for so many years. God didn't want a dating relationship with me. He wanted a marriage relationship. He wanted a relationship where he could have everything in my life. And when he did, something changed drastically in the moment and then gradually as he's worked in my life. There's a song that I absolutely love by Panic at the Disco. It's called Death of a Bachelor, and it's this idea of talking about a wedding. And the reason I love that song is because it, it, it really is a picture of what marriage is, but also it's a picture of what a marriage to God is, that something has to die in us to be able to walk in this relationship with him. The fact is we have to die to ourselves to have a relationship with God that changes everything. There's a lot of people who really struggle with having a relationship with God because there's this part of them or there's this thing in their life that they refuse to allow to die. Like they just want to hang on to this one thing in their life and they just can't let it go. And so God says, listen, I can do a little bit, but I can't change your whole life because the fact is the thing that's on the throne of your heart is this thing that you're holding on to. Because if we have one thing we're holding on to, that's the thing we're serving in life. The Bible says we cannot, serve, we cannot serve two masters. We'll either love one or hate the other. And so for today, I want to ask the question, are you married to God? Is there a part of your life where maybe you go, you know, God, I've been kind of dating you in this area. There's kind of an area where, man, I've given you like everything over here and here and here. But over here, I've just been holding on to this thing. Is there something today that you need to surrender to Him? Maybe today for the first time you need to start a relationship with Him. Maybe today's the day where you say, listen, God, I want to have this relationship with you. I don't fully know what it means. Maybe even dating God for a while and today's the day you say, okay, God, you have everything. I'm done trying to do it my own way. I want you to have everything in my life. And maybe we should start talking about baptism. Maybe there's some of you that have never really had that marriage ceremony of baptism. That's what baptism is. It's this ceremony that the old me is dying, and suddenly I come up and I'm a new person in Christ Jesus. Maybe you've never had that before, and maybe that's a moment. You know, baptism is both a ceremony and a sacrament. It's a ceremony in the sense that, yes, it, it, it symbolizes these things, but when the Holy Spirit shows up in it, it's a life-changing moment where God does something amazing, much like a wedding ceremony. It can be two people making googly eyes at each other, or it can be a life-changing moment because it depends on what's going on in the heart. And in the same way, baptism can absolutely change everything in your life. And if you've never been baptized before and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, man, I'd love to talk to you more about what that could look like. As we close out today, I just want you to bow your heads with me and just open up your hearts that as God's working in you and as you're responding, I just want to pray for every person that's in this room today and just ask that God would continue through His Holy Spirit to draw us closer and closer to Him. And if there's anyone in this place that's been in that position I've been in before where maybe they're just dating God, they've kind of known of Him, but they've never given Him everything, I pray that today is the day that they would join me in saying, God, take everything in my life I, I repent of the ways that I've turned from you. I repent of the ways I haven't given you everything. And I give it all to you right now. God, I pray for anyone in this place that's never started a relationship with you. God, I pray that they would join me in praying. Father, I am a sinner. I'm in need. 
of your grace. I'm in need of forgiveness for my sins. God, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for sending your son to take away my sins and be resurrected in three days. And God, in this moment, I want you to be Lord of my life. God, I just thank you for each and every one of us that are here in this place today, that no matter where we're at with you, God, you love us so much, but you love us too much to leave us there. So God, through your Holy Spirit, would you convict us of anything in our life that doesn't honor you, that doesn't glorify you? God, if there's anyone that's been struggling to go public with their relationship with you, God, that you would give them courage. You would make it such a burning in their heart that they can't help but talk about you to people around them. That it would just pour out of them to everyone that they meet. God, you are so awesome, amazing, and incredible. And we just continue to praise you and thank you for what you're doing. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. You know, church, one of the things I sincerely believe is that anything that God does in you, he never intends for you to do alone. He intends to do with you you and with his people around you. And so I just want to encourage you today in a couple areas. One is, man, if you made a decision for Christ today, or there's an area where you just said, listen, I, I, I really need to give something up to God, or I, and maybe for the first time you made a decision to follow him today, I want to encourage you to tell someone. There's a couple ways you can do that. And we're actually going to be up here. We'd love to pray with you as we respond today in any area, but we, we'd love to do that. Or just take the card that's right in front of you. And let us know. We can talk more throughout this week. Whatever that is. Because the thing is, we believe that God's doing something. And as he does something, we want to walk alongside you and see how we can help to grow and help you in that. And in everything that we do, I just hope that no matter where our hearts are at today, that here in a moment, we'll just pour out our praises to God. Because he is so worthy of our worship. So here in a moment, we're going to stand. We're going to praise him. But as we do that, we just want to encourage you to respond in whatever way God is prompting you. And we're going to have people at either cross here that we'd love to pray for you in any area if we can. Church, let's continue to worship together.